things change really quickly. Two days ago, I was still sitting down there, being one of you, a fellow meditator. And now I'm sitting up here, supposed to give you a Dhamma talk. <laughs> Not having had much time to prepare for this talk, I decided to talk about that which was and still is foremost in my heart and mind. It is metta, because Jani Sayadaw made me practice metta meditation for two weeks and only then made me change to do vipassana for the last five days. And even then he advised me to, uh, to start each sitting meditation with half an hour of metta. This supported and enhanced my vipassana practice in a truly um, amazing way. About seven years I had done one month of metta with Chami Sayadaw and this time and with his guidance I was able to cultivate the quality of loving-kindness to a much more powerful and refined degree and with that concentration also became much deeper. So with this experience it showed me more clearly than ever how powerful, how potent and beneficial metta can be in many regards. Therefore, tonight I will talk about some aspects of metta and its beneficial and far-reaching effects. Better than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day, one in the morning, at noon and in the evening, is the practice of metta for one moment three times a day. And one moment is the time, time span it takes to snap the finger or to blink an eye. So this statement of the Buddha clearly shows how effective and beneficial the practice of metta is. Metta, as we all know, is the word in Pali for loving-kindness. Other possible translations are friendliness, benevolence, or amity, or universal love. The quality of metta is spreading benevolence and the wish for every living being to be happy and well. Sometimes metta is also translated as love. However, this can be a bit dangerous because the word love implies a rather worldly love, such as the love between a couple, the love between lovers, or the love between parents and children. Because this kind of love is mostly tainted by attachment, dependence, craving, or unspoken expectations. On the other hand, metta is completely free from any attachment and dependence, and it is also completely free from any expectations or conditions. Therefore, we could say that metta is unconditional love, or as Chani Sayadaw has um, termed it some years ago in one of his talks, he said, love is attachment, whereas metta is detachment, or non-attached love. Metta, loving-kindness, is a mental state that can be developed through practice. It's not something that we are either endowed with when we are born or not. It's not something that is bestowed upon us by some higher force or being. <clears throat> it is a completely selfless 
and pure state of mind which is beneficial for oneself and others in the here and now and also in the future. Through the cultivation of the quality of loving-kindness, the heart is free from dosa, which is anger, aversion, ill-will or resentment. And as I also already mentioned, it is free from loba, attachment, dependence, craving. The original nature of the mind or the heart of sentient beings is metta. So as we know, metta meditation is the development of that mental state which wishes for the welfare and well-being of every sentient being. This practice opens up our heart and includes every sentient being in our love, metta love, without any conditions. This means that we have to develop this quality in ourselves, taking another person or being as the object of our meditation. Here we should be clear about the fact that this practice does not aim at sending metta to another person in order to make him or her happy and peaceful. We do not try to send or to channel anything to another person or being. We only take this person as the object of meditation in order to develop and cultivate this quality in ourselves. Therefore, we also should be carefully, careful when choosing the words when we talk about metta so that the meditator is not led into the wrong direction. To develop, to cultivate metta are appropriate terms or to radiate metta because that, is, that doesn't imply that anything is sent or channeled to another person. When the quality of metta, loving-kindness, is fully developed, then the mind itself is metta. Then the heart itself is radiating metta. It doesn't need to be sent out. It is like the nature of a fire which radiates heat. If we have a small fire, then we have to go quite close in order to feel the warmth or the heat of the fire if we want to go and warm our hands. However, if we have a huge fire, a bonfire, then this huge fire naturally radiates a lot of heat and we cannot go very near because it would be too hot. So like the nature of the fire is radiating heat, the nature of the mind which is filled with metta, it just is metta, it radiates metta. With this I do not say that metta cannot have beneficial effects on other beings. On the contrary, the metta practice of a person can have big and unexpected effects on other beings. In the stories that I will tell you later, it will become more obvious. What I want to stress here is the fact that metta bhavana, metta meditation, is the development of the quality of loving-kindness in ourselves. When we engage in metta meditation, it is important that we understand quite well the spirit of metta. The better we understand the spirit of metta, the easier it will be to develop this quality of the heart and mind. Getting a thorough knowledge of what metta is and what not, we will be able to turn the mind in the direction of those qualities that need to be developed and cultivated. So the spirit of metta 
is to wish for the welfare and happiness of all living beings. There is never a wish for anything that is not beneficial. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of other living beings. We never work to create unwholesome results or to inflict suffering. The spirit of metta is always peaceful, cool and refreshing. It never burns. And this quality of the coolness, of the freshness of metta, this is not only to be taken figuratively, but it actually um, can also manifest uh, in the body. In the beginning, when we start to practice metta meditation, normally first we experience some kind of warmth around the heart, in the chest area, warmth and tingling. But when we continue to develop metta, when it gets more powerful, more refined, then with the mind becoming completely free from defilements of dosa, anger, aversion, when it is free from the fires of greed, attachment or lust. So when these fires are extinguished, there is a coolness, a freshness in the mind. And this coolness, freshness of the mind then automatically manifests in the body as well. And so a meditator can experience his body um, being cool, feel, uh, being fresh. I, <coughs> I could experience that during my retreat several times. At times it felt like a cool breeze was blowing. At other times it was like sitting in a room where the aircon was turned on. Or sometimes uh, it was felt like this coolness from inside the body and then permeating the whole body. And I remember when I did the metta practice about seven years ago, that was in Burma, and it was during the hot season uh, with temperatures of about 38 degrees Celsius, which is, I think, around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So even uh, during that retreat, I all of a sudden felt cool and chilly. And at that time also, when the metta is really very powerful, very strong, very pure and genuine, then the metta is just flowing by itself. It's like gushing forth, like a spring that gushes forth from between the rocks. And so metta is just flowing by itself, this endless stream of metta being there, being present. The spirit of metta is always friendliness or loving-kindness. It never turns to hatred or aversion. Although metta is a mental state, it is not listed among the mental uh, factors, which number 52, but it is expressed under the term of adosa. As we know, dosa, aversion, hatred, ill will, and a means it's the negation of it, no. But actually, it's not only a state where dosa is absent, but with metta, there is the, the heart, the mind is filled with this quality of benevolence, of friendliness. Spirit of metta is also very soft, gentle, and subtle. It is never rough or harsh. Spirit of metta is always clear and fresh. It never withers. In the spirit of metta, we always see and look at the good side of things. It never sees and looks at the negative sides. 
It never sees or looks for faults. The spirit of metta is always forgiving. It is not oppressive or controlling. The spirit of metta is only concerned with helping. It is completely free from any destructive impulses. In the spirit of metta, we always work for the benefit of others. We do not work for our own selfish benefit. And the spirit of metta is free from entanglement. There is always independence. Metta meditation or metta bhavana is one of the 40 sub-objects that the Buddha mentioned for calm abiding or samatha meditation. And it belongs to the group of the four divine abidings or the sublime states. They are also known as the four Brahma-viharas, which we know is Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka. Loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Metta meditation can be practiced in order to reach the jhanas, which are states of deep concentration as it is with all objects that lead to this deep state of concentration, the meditator feels calm, peaceful, tranquil and serene for the time she or he is meditating. Calm abiding, some of the meditation can give temporary peace and happiness, but it doesn't have the power to uproot the defilements or to eradicate the causes of unsatisfactoriness and suffering. Metta meditation can also be practiced just for the sake of developing the quality of loving-kindness without aiming at the jhanas. Although the aim of metta is different from that of vipassana, it can greatly enhance and benefit the vipassana practice. In Vipassana meditation, we come to understand the impersonal nature of all mental and physical phenomena, dismantling the idea of a solidly existing I, me, self or ego. With that we can begin to see through the misconception of me or I being the center of the universe. On the other hand, with the practice of metta meditation, we come to realize that there is actually no I or self that is separated from the others. We realize the connectedness of all beings and see that there is actually no difference between me and others. As the natural state of metta is free from aversion, hatred, ill will and greed, attachment, craving, uh, on the other hand, we will fall less prey to react with these unwholesome mental states when dealing with other people or beings. So the practice of metta meditation can be a great support for our vipassana meditation. On one hand, the burning fires of the defilements are greatly reduced and extinguished and on the other hand our patience and our acceptance are greatly increased. As a result the mind will calm down more easily and thus pave the ground for insight to arise. As we know metta is the benevolent attitude of the heart and mind, wishing every being to be well and happy. So when we practice metta meditation, we have to develop this genuine wish by repeating silently in our mind a sentence like, may all beings be well, happy and peaceful. But we have to make sure 
that we do not repeat this sentence or these words mechanically, but that we stay connected to the meaning of these words all the time, so that it becomes a real and genuine wish coming from our heart. With the continuous development and cultivation of metta, it becomes more powerful, stronger, until finally it permeates our whole body and mind. And when our mind and body is um, fully suffused with the feeling of loving-kindness, then it will naturally radiate into the near and far environment. Let me illustrate this with an example that happened some years ago when Chami Sayadaw was in Canada. Chami Sayadaw was invited to a bookshop called Banyan Books, where he could choose any books that he wanted. At that time, a 40-year-old woman walked over to him and stood quietly beside Sayadaw. After a while, she said to Sayadaw, please allow me to stand here. My health is not good and I feel weak, both mentally and physically. It is a long time since I've been well. However, now standing next to you, both my physical and mental strength have come back and I feel peaceful in my body and mind. So Sayado gave her permission and said, please stand here. While Sayado was looking through quite a number of books, she was quietly standing near him. After about one hour, apparently, she felt a bit embarrassed and again she went up to Sayado and with her hands folded in Anjali, since she said to Sayadaw, thank you so much for the peace that you have given to me. I am so happy. I've never experienced such peace in my whole life. And then with these words, she turned around and left. Jami Sayadaw commented on this incident that it happened because, uh, and said, uh, it happened because he practices metta meditation every day. As a result, the woman experienced peace in her body and mind and regained her mental and physical strength. In response to the power and strength of a person's metta, beings coming into contact with that person will also feel peaceful, happy, serene and tranquil. This is only natural, isn't it? There are different ways for practicing metta meditation. Besides practicing it for all living beings, we can also practice it for a specific person, a specific being, or a group of specific persons or beings. And traditionally, we should start our metta practice with developing it towards ourselves. When we are honest to ourselves, we have to admit that all we want is happiness. And this is a basic wish that can be found in every living being. Only when we acknowledge and understand this deeply rooted wish for our well-being do we fully understand that other beings are not different from us in this regard? On the basis of this understanding, it is easier to cultivate an open and accepting heart for all beings, regardless of their deeds, creeds, gender or position. So, as we are Hold, we should start developing metta towards ourselves with words or sentences like may I be well, happy and peaceful. 
and when the when metta loving kindness has uh, arisen to some degree then we make the bridge to other beings as i want to be happy and peaceful may all beings be happy and peaceful and then after that we just continue to cultivate this wish for all beings welfare in the same way as we want to be treated nicely other beings want to be treated nicely as well in the same way that we want to be respected other beings want to be respected too in the same way that we don't want to be killed other beings also don't want to be killed metta is born in the lap of consideration for ourselves and others loving kindness springs from a heart of sympathy and care for every living being in the beginning of our metta meditation practice we find that it is easier to develop metta to certain persons than it is to other persons for persons we respect or feel quite close it is definitely easier to develop um, metta for people we have problems with or for people we even hate it is almost impossible to develop thoughts of loving kindness at least in the beginning of the practice this is natural and for this reason we are told to develop metta in a systematic way in the visuddhimagga people are divided into four categories according to the relationship that we have with them and as we know as chami saito has already said it's the respected person then the beloved or dear person the neutral person and a hostile person or enemy or as chami saito also mentioned antipathetic person so therefore we should base our metta meditation on the sequence of these four categories and cultivate uh, loving kindness gradually step by step if we start practicing metta towards an enemy or a person we dislike then we just might end up feeling uptight and angry and then concluding that this practice um, is not working but by following the above mentioned way we can gradually develop and strengthen loving kindness and in the end it will even be possible to uh, have metta even for our worst enemies during this retreat when i came to this fourth category and looking for an enemy or a person i disliked i choose your president <laughs> mr bush <laughs> and by that time the meta was already quite powerful and strong and it had gained already such momentum so that when i sat down and started to practice metta towards mr bush it was just this outpour of metta was was there very strongly very powerful and it was accompanied by a very bright mind there was this bright light in my mind and so it was just there and flowing steadily for a couple of hours i was sitting there in great bliss having this most <laughs> uh, genuine metta um, and after what i thought about was two hours then the light wasn't so bright anymore it diminished a little bit but it didn't um, disappear completely and so i continued another about two hours so by the end and I opened the eyes it had been four hours that I had been uh, practicing 
very powerful, very strong uh, meta towards Mr. Bush. <laughs> I think it is important to note that with the practice of loving kindness, we do not approve of or accept unwholesome deeds uh, that somebody has done or somebody is doing. When somebody has hurt us or is hurting other people, other beings, when somebody is afflicting suffering on us, on other beings, with the practice of metta, it doesn't mean that we uh, say yes, that it is right or justified. But we just try not to react, fall into the trap of anger and aversion and therefore close our heart for this particular person. With metta, we can actually see more clearly because we are not caught in the trap of aversion or ill will. We just try to see this person as another living being who, not, who wants nothing else but peace and happiness. Pure and genuine metta is not dependent on any conditions and it doesn't select beings according to what they do or what they don't do. This is um, real unconditional love which doesn't expect anything in return. Our ability to love or our ability for loving-kindness must be truly boundless and limitless. To illustrate this point, there are, there's quite a number of stories to be found in the scriptures. For example, the stories of the Bodhisattva in his previous lives as the hermit Kantivadi or as the prince Dhammapala. Although he was tortured in those existences very cruelly, he didn't show any signs of anger or aversion and the metta in his heart didn't diminish. Many of you might be familiar with these stories and so I want to tell you another little story that happened um, a few years ago. The Kuti, the little house where I live in Burma, is surrounded by many trees. It's mostly cashew nut trees and some of the branches are even hanging sort of over the roof and some of the branches even touching the roof. And like here, we also have many squirrels um, running around on the trees and everywhere. And already from the very beginning, always there were uh, the squirrels sometimes running over the roof of our kuti. And because it's tin roofs, so um, becomes very noisy. And they also managed to get between the roof and the ceiling of the room. And also there, uh, was creating quite a lot of noise. And I think sometimes it was also rats and mice who got up there. And so that was normal to have these animals uh, running up there and making some noise at times. But then at one stage it grew uh, much worse. It became very, very noisy, especially in the evening at night. It seemed like there was a dozen of squirrels and rats and mice running back and forth on the roof, on the ceiling, um, playing games probably and making these uh, squeaky noises, shouting. Or it seemed they had a very good time, a good party up there. <laughs> and it just went on and on and on and wouldn't stop and it was almost impossible then to fall asleep because it was really so noisy. And so as it happened for several days in a row, I thought mm, one should do something about it. And so I went to Sayado Uindaka, who is the abbot, and told him what was happening 
and asked him to send a man to cut the branches of the trees which were hanging onto the roof. So I thought that would prevent too many squirrels or animals to come on our roof. But Oendaka told me that I shouldn't cut the branches, but that instead I should practice metta meditation for these beings. We will be disappointed <laughs> not to get the quick fix. <laughs> I followed his advice, and in the evening, when the party started again, <laughs> I sat down in my room and started to develop metta for these squirrels, rats, and mice. And I really had genuine wish for them to be well, happy, peaceful. There was no uh, desire in the mind just to make them go away or stop, but just genuine metta for them. And amazingly enough, after some time, the whole commotion started to get less. And running back and forth um, less frequently, less noisy. And by the end, there was just occasional squirrels or tapping over the roof. So it was quite uh, um, obvious the difference between the beginning and the end. And so I did it for two more nights and the same result. The beginning when they had the party and when it was very tumultuous and noisy, when I started to do the metta, it gradually became less and got much, much quieter. So then after three days, I went to Sayadaw Oindaka and told him my experience. He just looked at me with a smile on his face and said, yes, and now you can cut the branches. <laughs> When we engage in metta practice, it's not always so easy and loving-kindness does not come up um, so readily at times. Sometimes our mind is overcome with dosa, anger, aversion, ill will, or whatever. And so in those times, we should reflect about the dangers of dosa. In the scriptures, in many places, the dangers of dosa are explained in many ways. Just to mention a few. When dosa exists in the mind, we cannot distinguish anymore between what is beneficial and what is not beneficial. Or we do not know anymore what is uh, lawful or what is against the law. Because of dosa, many people will hate us, and we will have many enemies. Or, because of dosa, we may have a confused mind and die in a confused state of mind. And they say that leads uh, to a rebirth in hell. Dosa is also able to destroy our dignity and other people's dignity. It is also said that if a person gets angry in response to another person's anger, then this person becomes even baser than the first person. An angry person ages faster and may die sooner. An angry person may lose his or her attractiveness or beauty and it is also said an angry person, um, in, in his next life, he will be reborn with an ugly expi- um, uh, appearance. So when we reflect about these dangers of dosa, then that should help us to let go of our aversion and anger. And so then we can take up the practice of metta again. Or, if dosa hasn't disappeared yet, 
then we should go on and reflect about the benefits of patience or tolerance. Patience, tolerance or kanti means that we do not retaliate with anger or aversion if we are hurt, if we are shouted at, if we are tormented or ill-treated. If we are in doubt with patience, we will be loved by many people and we will be free from dangers and fault and our mind is more likely to be clear. It is said that there is no benefit that excels patience or tolerance. Patience is the weapon of the virtuous person. Patience is also one of the blessings, mangala, and it is also one of the paramis, perfections. Patience leads to the noblest conduct, and only with patience can we have peace of mind. The power of patience is like the power of an army who can resist the enemy. If we reflect on the benefits of patience, then the power and strength of patience, tolerance, will increase and become strong. If reflecting on the dangers of dosa and benefits of patience still doesn't help to reduce our anger, then we can do an analytical reflection. And this is done in the following way. When you are practicing metta meditation, but if anger or ill will comes up towards that uh, particular person, then you should ask uh, yourself what or whom you are actually angry with. And one way is to, to see this person in the 32 different parts of the body. So you can ask yourself, are you angry at the hair of the head of this person? Are you angry at the nails of this person? Are you angry at the teeth of this person? Are you angry at the bones of this person? Are you angry at the heart of this person? Are you angry at the urine of this person? <laughs> or you could do it with um, regard in regard with the elements. So are you angry at the earth element that is manifested through the bones of this person? Or are you angry at the water element found in this person, in this body, the person? Are you angry at the fire element? Or are you angry at the wind element? When you analyze like this, you come to see that there is nothing solid or permanent that you can use to maintain your dosa, just as there is no solid surface in the sky to hang up a picture. To check if our metta is really unconditioned or limitless, there is the following scenario in the Visuddhimagga. Imagining that there are four persons sitting together, yourself, a dear person, a neutral person, and an enemy. Now suddenly some robbers come and ask for one person among these four so that they can make an offering um, of blood uh, to the spirits. So now if we think that we should go and spare the other persons, or when we think they should take the enemy, or if we think they should take the neutral person, or even they should take the beloved person, um, then this shows that the metta without discrimination or unconditioned metta has not yet been fully developed. The commentary to the Visuddhimagga says, only um, if we do not want to give any of these four people, including ourselves, um, if we have the same wish for all the four of 
these beings to be happy and well, only then our metta can be set um, really to be without discrimination. And as we can experience when you're practicing it, at that time the feeling of metta starts to flow like the water from a spring. It's just there, continuously flowing, gushing forth from the heart, from the mind, all day, all night. And as a result of it, the heart, our body, will also become very soft. Effects and benefits springing from meta practice are manifold. Sometimes they are even so vast and unexpected that we wouldn't think uh, that this could be possible. In the scriptures, in the Visuddhimagga, 11 benefits are mentioned that can be experienced by a metta meditator. Chamiye Sayadaw has talked about these 11 benefits, so I just will give a short summary. A person falls asleep happily, a person wakes up happily, one has no bad dreams, no nightmares, one is beloved by human beings, one is beloved by non-human beings, one is protected by devas, one cannot be harmed or one is protected from the dangers of fires, poisons and weapons. One has a serene facial expression and one is able to concentrate easily and at the time of death the person's mind will be clear, unobstructed. And the last of these benefits, if one is not already an arahant, then one will be born in the Brahma realm. In the book about the practice uh, of metta meditation by Sayado Uindaka, the abbot of the forest center where I stay in Burma, um, there is the following story. I actually translated this book from Burmese into English. When a woman stepped outside her house to hang up some clothes in her garden one morning, she saw three elderly men sitting in the garden. Although she didn't know these elderly men, but out of respect, uh, she greeted them and said, it seems that I've seen you before. Um, would, you, would you like to come inside and have a cup of tea and some lapé? Lapé is a typical Burmese snack. It consists of pickled tea leaves and one eats it together with peanuts, sesame seeds and other uh, fried beans or peas and garlic. So after inviting them inside, one of the men immediately asked if her husband had gone out already. And so the woman said that her husband had gone to work. And so then this old man said, in that case, it's not possible for us to come inside. And this seemed to be so definitive and so the women, woman didn't uh, uh, say anything more, but, sh but just continued to go about her business to hang up the clothes. In the evening, when her husband had returned from work, she told him what has, had happened, and out of pity for the three elderly men, the husband told her to go out again and invite them inside the house. So the woman went back into the garden where the three men were still sitting. And so she told them that the husband had returned and that they invited them to come inside. However, after she had invited them again, one of the old men told her that they couldn't come inside all together at the same time. This seemed to be very strange 
And so she asked why it wasn't possible. And so this old, this one old man, he pointed his finger at the second man and said, his name is Bodana, pointing his finger at the other man. His name is Bo Aunain, and my name is Bo Meta. Please tell your husband our names, and then uh, he should decide whom of us he wants to invite uh, inside. And once again, he said that it wasn't possible for all the three of them to enter the house together. So the woman went inside and told her husband. As soon as the husband heard these words, he jumped up happily and said, Oh, good. So go and invite um, Bodana, because Dana means wealth, riches. Um, Dana is a Pali word which means wealth, riches. It's spelled D-H-A-N-A. So not to confuse with dana, generosity, which is D-A-N-A. So go invite Bo Dana, because then our house will be filled with wealth and riches. However, his wife didn't agree and she said, well, I think we should invite Bo Aunain. The Aunain is a Burmese word and it means to conquer, to master, or to have abundance, to be successful. And Bo is also a Burmese word and it means grandfather. But it is also a respectful term to address an elderly man. So we should invite Bo Aunain, then we will be always successful and prosperous. And when we will be successful and prosperous uh, in everything we undertake, we will also be, um, become rich, become affluent. After that, the daughter who was sitting in the corner of the room also ventured her opinion and she said, my dear father, I think we should invite Bo Meta because then the whole house will be suffused with the scent of metta and we all will live in peace and abundance. So after the daughter had said this word, the father thought that this wasn't a bad idea and so he decided that they would invite Bo Meta. So then he told his wife, please go now and invite Bo Meta into our house. The woman went back to the garden and told the three men that they had decided to invite Bo Meta. So then immediately Bo Meta stood up and started to walk towards the house. But also very immediately the two other men stood up and started to walk behind Bo Meta. The woman was surprised and couldn't understand it anymore because she had been told repeatedly that it wasn't possible for all the three of them to enter the house. So she asked them why now all of them were going uh, to enter the house. And in response to her question, the three men, they answered simultaneously. They said, if you had either invited Bo Dana or Bo Aunain, then the other two would have waited outside. However, you have invited now Bo Meta. Now listen and remember this well. Whenever the virtuous quality of Meta is present, wealth and success are also close at hand and all aspects of life will unfold accordingly. Remember this well for the rest of your life. The refuge experienced by a metta meditator is similar to the delightful rest 
experienced in the cool and pleasant shade of a large tree. Imagine such a huge tree at the side of a road with a grassy little spot underneath where no sunlight can pierce through. Wouldn't be, wouldn't it be refreshing and cool to take a rest there? Wouldn't all the travelers who happened to pass there and take a rest there feel cool, refreshed and pleasant? Similarly, we can feel the same peace and happiness when we enter the shade of metta. When we live in the shade of metta, all aspects of our life will definitely unfold uh, much more smoothly, be it in worldly matters, be it in spiritual matters. After a Vipassana retreat that I led two years ago in Switzerland, where we also practiced uh, some metta meditation every day, I got a short letter from a meditator confirming the manifold and unexpected benefits from the metta practice. He wrote that in his house up in the mountains, in the Alps, um, there are always many flies. And so when he uh, is meditating, the flies come and bother, buzz around his head. And so greatly disturbing him. And so he said that he started to practice metta towards these flies. And as a result, he's not bothered anymore by the flies when he's meditating. He says he only needs to hold the umbrella of metta above his head and he can meditate peacefully. And he added a second example, saying that also um, the little Martins enjoyed biting the wires of his car. So in the morning when he wanted to drive somewhere, he couldn't start the car. And again, he started to practice metta towards the Martins. And as a result, apparently they left his uh, wires in the car untouched. He said sometimes in the morning he still could see the footprints of the Martins on his car, but the wires uh, were untouched. There was an interesting incident that led to the uh, Metta Sutta, the, to expound, that, that led the Buddha to expound the Metta Sutta. At one time, a group of 500 monks, they uh, went somewhere, looked for a forest where they could practice meditation during the Vasa, during the rainy season. But with the arrival of the monks, the forest devas who lived there up on in the trees were disturbed by the intruding monks. And uh, when the monks didn't leave after a few days, in order to make them leave, they created these frightening visions and scary sounds. And that actually scared the monks and they got um, very frightened. And they decided that they couldn't stay there any longer and practice meditation. So they went back to the Chetavana monastery where the Buddha was residing during Vasa and told him what had happened and also asked the Buddha to tell them a place where it would be more convenient for them to practice meditation. The Buddha, with his omniscience, looked over the whole of Jambudipa, the Indian subcontinent, but then he said that there wasn't any more suitable place for them than exactly that forest where they had practiced. And he said, my dear monks, go back to that same forest and practice your meditation there. But the monks replied, please do not send us back to this forest. It's impossible to meditate there. Understanding their anxiety, 
the Buddha said, my dear monks, because you went there to practice meditation without a weapon, without a protection, you have encountered many obstacles and difficulties. This time, however, I will give you a weapon. And then the Buddha gave him the weapon, the protection of the Metta Sutta. And he instructed them of how to practice Metta meditation. As the monks didn't dare to contradict the wishes of the Buddha, having learned the Metta Sutta and practicing Metta meditation according to the instructions given by the Buddha, they went back to that forest. Although the devas had been previously hostile, now their anger and uh, hostility disappeared when they felt the monks' metta. Feeling the monks' metta, the devas were even filled with respect and reverence, and they no longer attacked or taunted the monks. They even offered uh, their their service and offered their protection from other dangers or difficulties. And so in this way, the monks could practice meditation uh, peacefully. So having met the meditation as the foundation of their um, vipassana practice, by the end of the vasa, all of the 500 monks had become arahants. The Buddha had foreseen this, and for this reason, he had sent them back uh, to that forest. Metta is without doubt a very powerful and wholesome force that we always can depend upon for protection. Life is definitely much <coughs> nicer when we spend it in the cool and refreshing shade of metta, rather than walking on a dusty road in the scorching sun, tormented by the fire of greed, attachment, anger, aversion, or ill will. Let me conclude this talk with a quote from His Holiness, the 17th Karmapa. From the time we open our eyes in the morning until we sleep at night, if we can pass the whole day with a kind and loving heart and cheerful face, our mind will be relaxed when we go to sleep at night. On the other hand, if we spend the day making others upset, if we fight, and even if we win, when we are going off to sleep at night, we will have regrets and our mind will not be at ease. Let's sit quietly for a couple of minutes. finish, let's chant the sharing of the blessings.
you have to guide. <laughs> I'm not so familiar with it. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father and my relatives, the sun and the moon and all virtuous leaders of the world may the highest gods and evil forces celestial beings guardian spirits of the earth and the lord of death May those who are friendly, indifferent or style, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom austerity and vigor may the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve the Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.